death. Everyone must die, no exceptions. So you might think of the exemplary people that you know who are alive. Or exemplary people who have died. There are no exceptions. No matter how accomplished, how wealthy, how physically fit, (laughs) how brilliant, how great in so many respects each person is. That does not add up to a protection from death. The Buddha said, young and old, foolish and wise, rich and poor, all keep dying. As a potter's clay vessels, large and small, fired and unfired, all end up broken, so too life leads to death. The remainder of our lifespan is decreasing continually. Even if we're young, we don't know how long we have, but we're all on the road that ends in death. And that road gets shorter and shorter with every breath we take. That's just the way it is. Death will come regardless of whether or not we have made time to practice the Dharma. In other words, time is precious. How are we using our time? How do we want to spend our time? Is practice part of what's important to us? I assume because you came here today, there is something in you that says this is important. So we may think, oh, I've got to go on retreat or I've got to take off three months out of my life, you know, and maybe that's just out of the question. So then there's still opportunities, which is to practice every moment, to practice throughout your days. The Buddha said, I teach mindfulness, you can practice in any posture, sitting, walking, lying down, standing, running, you know, whatever posture you're in, you can be practicing. Whatever activity you are in, you can be practicing. It's still the mind that is here, that is that can be worked with. As a friend of mine said, she said, I see that I have a choice every moment, either peace or struggle. So that's a practice. What a beautiful thing to practice all day, to know that every moment we have a choice, either peace or struggle. It's up to us. Then we are, then the practice is alive, whether we're sitting in the retreat hall, on our cushions, or in our office chairs. Then the practice is alive. What will we give the days of our lives to? What's important? What matters? What is, what is important to you? Make sure to make time for it. Okay, number four. Well, the next big 
category, the uncertainty of the time of death. That seems almost harder than the inevitability of death, that we don't know when or how. Human life expectancy is uncertain. People die at all ages. People die at all ages. Small babies die. Children get killed. Old people live way longer than they'd like to. They want to get out of here and they can't. (laughs) It's not a done deal. It's uncertain. Change happens in unexpected ways. Larry Rosenberg says, it isn't just death that is uncertain, but also life. We all want permanent things, a permanent partner, a permanent job, a permanent family, house, income, group of friends, place to practice meditation, permanently good weather. (laughs) The California syndrome. We do everything we can to assure permanence in these areas. But nothing is permanent. We would spend our time more wisely by contemplating and absorbing the law of impermanence rather than trying to repeal it. (laughs) It is like the story of a famous sage who was asked where all his wisdom came from. He replied, I live as a man who, when he wakes up in the morning, does not know if he will be alive when the day ends. His questioners were puzzled. Isn't that true of everyone, they asked? (laughs) It is, he said, but few people live that way. The Buddha, his journey began when he went outside his comfortable palace, he left his comfortable life and he saw what are called the heavenly messengers. What were they? An old person, an ill person, and a corpse. And he saw something about life that he had not known before, that this is the way it is for every human. It's... it's uh, this teaching of impermanence that we might be healthy now but oh well it's not going to last forever we might be beautiful and attractive now but oh well it's not going to last forever nothing is permanent so he was shaken to go on his journey by this truth of impermanence and then at the very end so he had this journey and he, he, he had his awakening and he learned a lot and he taught a lot and then at the end of his life when he was dying and people, people would ask him, you know, well, what do you, what's your advice? <laughs> Tell us, you know, give us something. And he said, keep your eyes on impermanence. This is the most important thing. This is what will teach you. Impermanence is a teacher. 
It is our teacher. It keeps us awake to what's here right now. Don't assume this will always be here. This kind of moment. Okay, so number five, there are many causes of death. And in our world that is so technologically advanced and we have so many amazing cures for things that, you know, we can treat. But there isn't a cure for everything. It doesn't mean that we can necessarily be disease-free or live forever. But we, we have that mindset in our country. And we, we forget how actually the body is still quite fragile. Nagarjuna, a Buddhist scholar, said, We maintain our life in the midst of thousands of conditions that threaten death. Our life force abides like a candle flame in the breeze. The candle flame of our life is easily extinguished by the winds of death that blow from all directions. We don't think like that, but there is some truth here. We're not as, you know, we're fragile. Number six, the human body is very fragile. kind of a miracle that we're all here. (laughs) Okay. Only the practice of Dharma can help us at the time of death. Our wealth cannot help us, no matter how much money we have. Eventually, we might die in great comfort with all the best drugs, but eventually... It will not help us. It will not prevent death. Krishnamurti gave this advice. The reason that death is so hard for you is that your life has been about attachment and accumulation. That's our habit, in other words. Do you want to know how to die? He said, think of the thing you treasure the most and drop it. That is death. That thing, whatever it is, will not be able to help you. Number eight, our loved ones cannot help us. Shantideva said, When I am lying in bed, although surrounded by all my friends and relatives, the feeling of my life being severed will be experienced by me alone. When I am seized by the messengers of the Lord, 
What benefits will my friends afford? What help can my relatives be? At that time, the sole thing to provide me with a safe direction will be the purity of my mind stream. But have I really committed myself wholeheartedly to such a cultivation? Our mind will be there with us every moment. Sometimes people are afraid of dying alone. That parting from our loved ones can be very difficult. Sorry, folks. Here. I think this is worth remembering. On dying alone. Dying people, this is by Andrew Holacek, who has a beautiful book called Preparation for for. Die. Preparing to die. It's in our bookstore. I highly recommend it. Dying people are sometimes jealous of those still alive. Why do I have to die when everyone else keeps on living? <laughs> it's so unfair. Why me? At that point, they need to remember that those left behind are not returning to a party that lasts till infinity. Those left behind are returning to a challenging life that is filled with suffering. As you are dying, remember that it's just a matter of time before everyone else joins you, just as you are about to join the billions of others who have already left this life. Those left behind are a minority. No one is going to get out of this alive. Yes. Many lives. Well, I know you Buddhism doesn't give much in the way of a metaphysical belief system. It's based on experience, on our own belief in our own knowing of what's true. So I would say that your the guidance that you take with you as you're dying is your wisdom and your compassion. Those are the what you take with you. But those have to be realized in this life in order to go with you. That's why practice is so important. But it's not so much a metaphysical idea as it is realization of what is the truth of who you are. And that goes with you and is a protection. It's a total protection. Nothing can harm you when you know who you are. Yeah. 
Okay. So, only the practice of Dharma. Our friends cannot help us. Our wealth cannot help us. Our own body cannot help us. We've counted on this body for so much. But when it comes to death, it can't it is helpless. It cannot help us. Barry Rosenberg, if we really faced our fear of death, and these contemplations will bring it up again and again, our lives would ultimately be lighter and more joyful. Some of you touched that this morning. I don't propose death awareness to depress us. It enhances our ability to live more fully. So, It's a deep practice, probably the deepest you can ever do. Yes? Could we have a mic? Could you hold hold on? My wife uh, died of cancer eight years ago, but she had an unusual... uh, uh, development of a concept of death which was that she uh, was was oblivious uh, about how the world could go on without me in it so that that bought before she got sick she when she was falling asleep she um, had a problem falling asleep because she when 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 I die, how can the world go on without me in it? Um, so I haven't heard that um, explanation uh, here today. No. Um, for that person dying, the world doesn't go on. So in a sense, she was sensing something. When, so, I don't know what else to say, but the world as we have experienced it, that disappears. Something else appears. But what that is exactly, we can't say. Okay, so we're going to, let's see, 245. 
<clears throat> sure. So I don't know how many other people here have done A Year to Live, which came out of Stephen Levine's book. Um, but I, a few years ago I did that. And the way it works is you have a group of about eight people and you meet once a month and you live your life as though this is your, the, your last year of living. And so it's always like, okay, well, we, I have 12 months. What do I want to do with this? I have nine months. What do I want to do with this? The very end of it, we did it with Bonnie. I forgot her last name. Bonnie from Berkeley. It came, yeah, it came out of here. And um, the very last thing that you do, the last time you get together, it's like this is the day that you're dying. And what we did, well, first we made death masks. But then we went to a beach, and we each sat separately on the beach and imagined that we were no longer alive and that the world was going on without us. And it was an incredible experience, especially because the beach was filled with people and dogs, and each of us had the same experience. Nobody knew we were there. Nobody looked at us. Nobody came over to us. Not a single dog came and sniffed us. Um, and it was a very, very powerful experience of not being here any longer and the, watching the world go on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was, an, it was, this is a simulation. It wasn't the reality. So you were learning something about... Uh, how to be alive in the world without, you know, all the attachments and so there was a uh, it's a little different from what we were talking about before about the the sense of the world disappearing when you die it hadn't really disappeared but you had, yeah, yeah. So just, this is a powerful little book, and just to let you know, on in February of 2016, we're starting a group here at Spirit Rock that will be a year-to-live group that will meet once a month. So watch for it in the new year's calendar. It will, this will be gone. This whole hall will be... You know, speaking of impermanence, it will be deconstructed and we'll be meeting in the new hall over there. So, January, we hope. <laughs> yeah, January of this next year. Are you Something, you know, I, I'm really kind of sad about it because I've spent so many hours of my life in this funky old trailer thing, you know. And I'm I'm quite fond of it, as we all are. So what's gonna happen to this? Oh, it will be raised. This all the trailers in this area will be gone and this will become a a, a wood a woodland area. Just, you know, trees and lawn and benches and deer and yeah, a little bit more of the wild back. Yeah.
Okay. That part I don't know, but I imagine they'll do that, yes. Recycling. Um, okay, so um, we're going to walk. We're going to take a walk now and uh, just have some time for reflection on everything that's come through. And then when we come back, which we'll do at, I think we should be back here by 3.20, then we'll do an inquiry process. Some of you have done inquiry with me before, but I want to give you a chance to process a little bit more personally some of the contemplations from that we just did right now. So if we could have a bell at 3.15 and come back by 3.20. Thank you.